Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast, brought to you by Scoop News Group. New resources to help states increase the reach of food benefits. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends across the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Civic Tech Nonprofit Code for America is working to help state governments connect students to nutritious food options over the summer. The organization teamed up with nonprofit No Kid Hungry to create a playbook for state governments to maximize the available funding under the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Summer Electronic Benefits Transfer Program. Marissa Kirk Epstein is a Senior Director of Research, Data, and Policy Analysis with No Kid Hungry. She, along with Code for America's Director of Government Innovation, Eleanor Davis, tell StateScoop's Skylar Rismans about the program. So... The Summer Food Service Program has operated for many decades uh, to feed kids during the summer who rely on free and reduced price school meals. Um, And despite the efforts of many different organizations, state agencies, the U.S. Department of Agriculture who administers the program, uh, that program historically has generally only reached about one in seven kids who really need the program. Um, And for that reason, there was general consensus in the field that really in order to reach more kids during the summer, we need to dramatically change the program. And um, after investing in a number of pilot programs uh, for many years, the summer EBT program was identified as the most effective solution to address summer hunger. Um, Those pilots showed that um, food insecurity was decreased by a third uh, among children. And so very effective program that then we saw go in a slightly different format, uh, widespread nationwide uh, as pandemic EBT. So because we already had the infrastructure to um, feed kids during the summer, um, we were able to leverage that to feed kids uh, during the pandemic by providing them with Um, an EBT card that they can use to purchase food at at grocery stores. Um, So starting, uh, so Congress made permanent summer EBT last December, and the first year of implementation is going to be summer 2024, which is very exciting. Um, But Uh, A lot of work is needed to get this program up and running in the next year. And although we have these great models to lean on, a lot of challenges were identified um, that really need to be worked through in order to stand up this program. I really feel like it's hard to sort of overemphasize the importance of this program and really the reason why we're so excited um, to be working on it. is really because Congress hasn't authorized a new permanent food assistance program like this in in about 50 years. So this is really, a I I would say, a once in a generation opportunity to sort of influence um, and and, um, plan for a program like this at this scale. Um, The potential impact of this is huge. If all of the states opt into this program, we're looking at about 30 million kids who potentially are eligible for this. Um, And it could look like about $3.6 billion a year in benefits going out the door directly to families to put 
food on the table. So it's a huge deal. We're incredibly excited about it. I know I get really excited when I talk about it because the potential impact is just huge. Um, but I think to Marissa's point, the, um, the, you know, there are some hurdles that states are going to have to jump through to really implement this program. So I think the, the first thing, the sort of phase that states are in right now is planning. So FNS, USDA has um, issued guidance. They are sort of continuing to issue guidance and FAQ documents um, and, you know, you know, answer questions from states about, you know, details in the policy, like, you know, eligibility nuances and things like that. States have until January 1st um, to submit a plan um, to, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. They have until January 1st to um, opt in to basically let USDA know um, that they plan to implement the program in 2024. Um, so they have between sort of now and January 1st to essentially determine um, if they're able to implement the program in this first year. Um, so far, actually right now, it's it's Monday, December 11th at um, 8.30 a.m. Pacific time where I am. We actually have uh, 16 states um, already opted in. I think also two tribal nations and one um, territory. So um, already seeing states raise their hand for this program, um, and we're expecting a lot more to opt in before the deadline on January 1st. Then what happens is states have until February 15th to submit their implementation plan to USDA, and that really has the details of how they plan to implement this program. In that planning process, what should states expect, like, between January 1st and February? Um, what, like, I guess, what do these plans look like? What details do they need to have um, identified in order to, you know, move forward? Yeah, states are required to basically submit every aspect of what they'll need to do to implement the program. So anything from really talking through how they'll identify eligible kids, how they'll allow kids to, who need to apply for the program to apply for the program, how they will conduct outreach to families about the program, and how they will issue benefits to the kids. So basically, all, all elements of the program need to be identified um, and really worked through in these plans. Um, and we saw from pandemic EBT that it's a really intensive back and forth process between state agencies and USDA to really work through the details of how they're going to administer this program. Um, and that's why we really wanted to put together this playbook as a guide for states uh, to really support them as they're putting together those plans and be able to really speak to some of the details and the challenges um, that they're going to be faced, that they're going to need to work through and demonstrate how they're going to solve in their plans. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, I'm curious, you know, maybe from both of your perspectives, um, what did you guys learn from the pandemic EBT program um, and how did that inform um, when you guys came together to write this playbook for the new summer EBT program? Um, yeah, what did you guys learn and um, what are you um, hoping this new program, this playbook can help improve upon the pandemic EBT? Yeah, maybe I'll jump in and then Marissa, obviously curious about your perspective as well. So back in 2020, when everything was shut down for the first time and pandemic EBT um, as sort of like an emergency response program was authorized, 
Code for America uh, sort of jumped right into the fray and worked directly with about a dozen states to just sort of support them on their implementation. We actually also partnered with um, two states, Minnesota and California, to design and administer their application for pandemic EBT. Um, so I, I would say that experience of really working shoulder to shoulder with states, observing their, their sort of data practices, supporting them, walking through their plans, um, really gave us a, an intimate look at where the challenges are um, with administering a, a program like this. I think summer EBT has a lot of the same challenges. It's not exactly the same, some new challenges as well. Um, but I think the one big benefit is that summer EBT is permanent. So states have this opportunity to really sort of build the foundation for this program long-term as opposed to pandemic EBT where we were never really sure how long it was gonna last because it was always understood it was an emergency program. Um, so I think some of the things we learned is that um, data is really the cornerstone of the challenge that so many states are gonna face. Of course, every state is different. Every state's backend systems look different. The relationships are different, but we really saw, I think generally speaking, that um, the, the, the success of this program really rests on state agencies' ability to get good, reliable data on students. Um, because you know they have to I use they have to find enough information to be able to identify who you know who's eligible for this program. They have to find out who's income eligible, right? Whether they're income eligible because they submitted an application for free and reduced price meals and they're already receiving those at school, whether because they're already on a program like SNAP, right? So they're already income eligible through that. Um, then they also have to determine where to send that card, right? Where does that kid live? Is it different in the summer than it is during the year? How do I know that that card is getting to the, to the right student? Um, so you have to really have enough complete data and information to, to issue that those benefits out to the kids. Um, and that is really hard because the information that you need often lives at the school level. So imagine you're a state like California that has almost a thousand different school districts. That's almost 10,000 individual schools. You have to, that's a real challenge to be able to aggregate all of that data, clean all of that data, match it, deduplicate it, make sure you're not issuing multiple benefits to the same kid, uh, make sure you're really ensuring those kids are eligible. So, you know, I think that the data is, is the real challenge often that we find um, with, with states administering this program. I think the other thing though that we learned from pandemic EBT is that those challenges are not insurmountable, right? What we saw during pandemic EBT is that states had a lot of challenges and, and really overcame them to, to administer this program successfully. I think at the end of the day, all 50 states ended up successfully administering pandemic EBT. Millions of benefits got out the door. So states really showed that they can do it, right? They're up for the challenge. They can pivot on a dime. They can move quickly to meet the moment and meet families' needs. Um, that's why we're so excited though about, about this playbook to really just support um, states sort of in this moment to help them set this program up for success. Yeah, certainly. What about you, Marissa? How, um, how did you, or what did, what did your organization learn um, from the pandemic EBT um, program? 
Yeah, I mean, building on what Eleanor already said, what's really unique about pandemic EBT and now summer EBT is it really requires close collaboration across two different, very different state agencies. So you have uh, eligibility falls to the state agency that is responsible for the school meals program. So typically the Department of Education and uh, it's the, the SNAP program that is really responsible for issuing the benefits, which typically lives in the Department of Health and Human Services or Department of Social Services. Now, these agencies have had to very quickly stand up a program that requires this really close collaboration between the two agencies that are very separate and don't typically work together in this way to share data and to issue benefits to kids. And so we really learned that it takes a lot to really develop good communication across the agencies um, and also then down to the school level. Um, no Kid Hungry works very closely with schools and, um, you know, in working with those data systems and understanding how the school meals programs work. We've known for a long time that it is chaotic and ha have heard, I've heard, uh, folks in the school meals, food and nutrition departments refer to it as the wild, wild west, where you've got just everybody doing their own, you know, collecting data uh, any which way, using different systems. And so really pulling this all together, as Eleanor said, um, to come together and aggregate at the state level to issue benefits is is really a challenge. But we've we've seen schools rise to that challenge. We've seen state agencies develop really effective cross-collaboration efforts that um, is, although will be a challenge, is really, you know, sets a good foundation for moving forward to a permanent summer EBT program. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's, you know, a lot of um, challenges when it comes to just the data alone in a program um, of this scale that, you know, that is meant to to target so many um, Americans, um, what other challenges could this play playbook help um, states overcome with implementing this program? Yeah, so I think the the biggest one that I already mentioned is the data, right? Where is it? How do you get it? How can you aggregate it? I think we learned a lot from pandemic EBT that a lot can shift in the implementation just depending on the the data matching strategy that you use, not to get too in the weeds on a, a you know, sort of a data science perspective, but there's really some nuance um, in sort of how you handle the data, how, you know, sort of what data fields you're using to match records to make sure that you're not missing any eligible kids, right? So I think there's a lot, you'll notice the playbook spends a lot of time really talking about data and coordination across agencies, as Marissa mentioned. Um, so that's a big chunk of the playbook. I would say another big chunk of the playbook is um, the application piece. Um, as Marissa mentioned, um, any, you know, the data is a big part of this program. Any child that can't be certified as eligible through the existing data, um, through a process that FNS is calling streamlined certification, will have to apply for the program. Um, and I think that invites a whole other set of challenges for states, like standing up an application, right, really quickly, making sure that application is understandable 
and simple to use for families, making sure it's accessible in multiple languages, um, translated well, um, and making sure families understand. I think we're, you know, we learned a lot through pandemic EBT that this program is confusing. Um, and so I think we are going to see families who are confused about, do I need to apply? Do I not? Am I going to get these benefits automatically? How do I know? Um, and so really sort of that, that communication piece is critical too. Um, the application um, piece is something that Code for America has a lot of experience with. Um, Client-facing benefit applications is kind of our, our bread and butter. Um, as you know, we're a 501c3 uh, civic tech nonprofit. Um, we partner with government agencies um, sort of at all levels, really to improve the accessibility and the equity, equity um, of, of a lot of different um, government programs, particularly social safety net programs. Um, and we have designed and built a lot of client-facing forms um, and applications for benefit programs. So we've learned a lot about what it takes to really make these applications that can be really confusing and hard for families to fill out, really simple to understand, right? Things like how do you ask someone about their income in a way that's really easy to answer? You'd be shocked at how many of these applications, it's really hard to answer the income questions, which you would think is, is pretty basic. So we have a lot of sort of best practices in the playbook around the application. Um, and then maybe the last piece I'll just mention that is, a, is an emphasis of the playbook is the outreach and communication piece. As I mentioned, the communication to families here is going to be paramount. Families are going to be anxious. Families are going to be confused. They are going to need clear, transparent, um, consistent information from sources that they trust about what this program is, how they can use those benefits, how they know if they're el they, them or their children are eligible, how they access the program. Um, and so really, you know, how do you reach families where they are, leverage multiple channels of communication um, to make sure families have that information? Um, and then how do you provide good support to families when they need help, right? Families are going to need help navigating this new program. Um, so we also have a significant amount in the playbook, too, that's about um, providing that support during the implementation of the program. That's awesome. That. Yeah, all that would be really helpful, I would imagine. <laughs> I also want to quickly add that I think, you know, given that the underlying eligibility for summer EBT is free and reduced price eligibility for school meals, we're really hoping that this playbook and all of the data and system changes that states are going to be making to stand up summer EBT are really going to also benefit the school meals program and really make sure that some of the application uh, best practices that are developed for summer EBT can also be applied to the free and reduced price meal application. And because there is so much cross enrollment across all of these programs, not just free and reduced price school meals and SNAP, but also Medicaid and TANF and other social service programs. We're really hoping that this will go a long way to streamlining the ways that families can access these programs and really make it easier and, and a better experience for them to participate in all of the programs that they're eligible for. One of the things that we've heard a lot uh, over the years, especially as summer EBT was a pilot, is concern that 
getting those benefits will take them away from other families and just want to underscore that this is a program that if you're eligible for it, you'll get these benefits um, and won't be taking it away from, from anyone else. Um, so definitely want to underscore that point. Um, and then in terms of the big picture that I really want to make sure to highlight, you know, like Eleanor said summer EBT has the potential to reach 29 million kids, but it can't reach those kids if states don't opt in and states can't opt in if they aren't able to make the system changes required to administer the program. So that's why we did this project um, and really hope that it will be a really useful resource to states. Wonderful. That's awesome. What about you, um, Eleanor? Anything, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, I think just sort of along the lines of, of what Marissa was sharing, I think, again, it this program is such a tremendous opportunity um, to reach families in need and to reduce childhood hunger, especially in the summer months when we know those rates are higher. Um, I think we've said these stats before, but we're incredibly excited at the potential reach of this program. We're looking again at I think 29, 30 million potentially eligible kids, $3.6 billion in, in benefits that are go directly to families to buy groceries. Um, and so the potential impact here is just, it's really huge, which is why we're so excited to, to be involved um, and why we were so excited as our two organizations to partner together um, to support states in implementing this program. Um, we are really hopeful that this resource that we've created um, will be useful to states as they are designing their implementation plans. I think we've heard from a lot of states um, during our sort of research component, a lot of trepidation, a lot of apprehension about this program, rightfully so. Many states struggled to implement pandemic EBT, even though they were ultimately successful, it was hard. Um, and so they're sort of anxious about what implementing summer EBT is going to look like. And so we're really hopeful that this resource that we've created is going to be um, influential. It's going to help states um, not only sort of uh, show that it's possible um, to, to launch this program and really help states figure out how to sort of put the puzzle pieces together to make this program a reality, but also to make sure that their program plans are as effective, as implementable, and as equitable as possible. Um, so this is a free resource. We want as many states as possible to pick it up, to read it, to use it, to ask us questions about it, um, and then ultimately to submit plans and participate in this first year. Eleanor Davis, the Director of Government Innovation for Code for America's Safety Net team, along with Marissa Kirk-Epstein, the Senior Director of Research, Data, and Policy Analysis with No Kid Hungry. You can read more about their work and digital services at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. You can subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, be sure to leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. That small extra step helps more people like you find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put it together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.